0: Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Enjoy today's podcast. Well, hey church, welcome back. We're kicking off a brand new series together and I'm excited for it. We're talking all about God's word. And that's really important because right now in our world, sometimes it's just really hard to know what's true anymore, isn't it? Seems like there's just an awful lot of fake news going around. At the previous church that Rebecca and I were at, there was this great family. They loved the Lord a lot. They had a whole bunch of kids and they raised their kids to know the Bible. Really godly family. Uh, But one time I was preaching a sermon and I asked the congregation to raise their hands if any of them had read Hezekiah chapter five, verse five and knew what that verse said. Well, this whole family very proudly raised their hands for the whole church to see The only problem was, is that I was totally kidding. It was a joke. There is no book of the Bible called Hezekiah. (laughs) Whoops. In fact, I think if there was a Hezekiah chapter five, verse five, it might say, he who lieth, (laughs) frieth." It's hard to know what's true anymore, isn't it? In fact, we're living in a world that is kind of even giving up on the idea of truth. We are living in a post-truth society. Instead of saying, speak the truth, now people are saying, speak your truth. That you have to decide what's true for you and you can't tell anybody what's right and wrong for anybody else. That uh, Some people say there is no absolute truth, which is ironic because that's a claim of absolute truth. And when I hear people say that, I wanna say, well, are you absolutely sure about that? So my question for you is, how do you determine what's true? And specifically, how do we determine the truth about God? You see, there's four potential sources of truth that you can lean on. And the first potential source of truth is tradition, Uh, that basically the people who've gone before you or the people in power, they get to decide what's true but the problem with tradition is, do you really want to accept what somebody else says is true without really probing it out for yourself? And, well, what about when traditions change or cultural sensibilities develop or different cultures have different traditions? Don't we need something a little more concrete and verifiable and, and, and personal? And so the second potential source of truth is reason. When the Industrial Revolution came around, the reason became a big source of truth as people began to believe that we could think our way to enlightenment and that science and technology were going to solve all of our problems. Now, the problem, of course, is that they didn't because as human beings, we have a limited intellectual capacity and there are problems that we face and issues that go far beyond scientific observation. And so now that we're living in a postmodern world, the third source of truth that's really gaining traction is experience, that you have to decide what's true for you, that you do what makes you happy. Nobody else has the right to tell you what to do. Now, the, the problem with this is that this leaves no objective basis for things like morality or justice. And so if tradition and reason and experience all fail to carry the freight on their own, then we have to turn to our fourth and final potential source of truth, which is revelation. And revelation is the belief that we did not have the capacity to discover the truth about God on our own. It had to be revealed to us that that door only opens from the inside. But thankfully, God has indeed revealed himself to us primarily in the pages of scripture is where we get the most specific revelation of who God is. Now, the fact that we believe in revelation doesn't mean these are bad. Please hear me. Tradition is a wonderful thing. The apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter one that he followed God and served God just as his ancestors did. We've had so many wise people who've gone before us and we can learn from them. And reason is really helpful because the truth should be able to stand up to the questions and curiosities of our God-given mind. The prophet Isaiah says in chapter one, come, let us reason together. And experience is helpful because we have a personal God who says in Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good, experience me. And so tradition and reason and experience are all, all good, but they only work properly when they are submitted to revelation. Now, that's not a very popular idea in our world where most people treat the truth like it's Play-Doh that can be molded to fit any particular situation. The apostle Paul describes what it's like living in a post-truth culture when he says this to his young protege Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter four. He says, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers who say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. It reminds me of when I was in seventh grade and I decided that I was gonna try out for the basketball team. And so I spent hours and hours out on my driveway practicing, but I didn't have a coach and so I just practiced how I wanted to practice without really any absolute standard. So I took my goal and I lowered it down to seven feet and dragged my trampoline out there on the driveway and I spent hours practicing my Vince Carter dunks and for a short, uncoordinated, vertically challenged white kid, I thought it was all good. That was my truth, I got this. But then I was confronted with the uncomfortable reality that my truth was not the truth, that there was an absolute standard that I was going to be measured against because the National Basketball Association sets the goal at 10 feet, no questions asked. And it didn't matter how good I thought I was on my seven foot standard because that 10 foot goal is the truth. And unfortunately, I did not make the basketball team. It's okay, I'm not bitter about it. I'm working through it. It's gonna be fine. I'm convinced though, that if they would have had a dunk contest on a seven foot goal, I would have been golden and we would be telling a different story today. But anyway, what does the apostle Paul tell Timothy to do here in the face of this world that denies the existence of absolute truth, a world somewhat like ours? Here's what he says in verse two, preach the word, the truth. Be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. And so that's why we're spending this month talking about the truth, the Bible. We're gonna be talking about what the Bible is all month and how to put it to work in our lives. For the first three weeks, we're gonna be talking about how the Bible is from God, about Jesus, and for us. But then in the last week of the month, we're gonna be taking some of your questions and answering some of your most common questions about the Bible. But we begin today with this simple and yet profound reality that the Bible is from God, that the Bible is divine revelation, God revealing himself to us, giving us the truth. And this is called the doctrine of inspiration. And nowhere is the doctrine of inspiration seen more clearly than in our primary verse for this month, 2 Timothy chapter 3, right before this, in verse 16. Paul says all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. In other words, these are not just human words. This is not just a, a good book full of nice fairy tales and moralisms. These are God's words. They are breathed out by him. All 66 books, all 1,189 chapters, all 31,173 verses are God-breathed. You can still catch the scent of his breath on these pages. These are not just human thoughts. These are God's thoughts. And he has revealed them to us so that we may know who he is and what he desires for our lives. One scholar says it like this, that the Bible is God's free and gracious choice to give up his privacy so that we may know him. This is the inspired word of God. So how exactly did this process of inspiration work? Well, if you'll give me just a minute, let me give you my shameless plug. If you haven't yet, please go sign up for EquipU. EquipU is our online platform designed to dive deeper into topics like this that we can't do justice to on a Sunday together. And in the first semester of EquipU that you'll go through, it's all about what we believe. But semester two that we're getting ready to start is all about how to read the Bible. So if you haven't yet, please join us signing up for EquipU. We're going to kick back off in August, But for now, what you need to know is that the doctrine of inspiration means that God wrote scripture by using people, the personalities, the experiences, the minds of normal human beings guided by his Holy Spirit that the Bible was written by one divine author, inspiring 40 human authors on three different continents in three different languages over a period of 1,500 years to tell one unified story. So that when we come to a verse like 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, we can honestly say, these are Paul's words, but we can just as truly say, these are God's words. And the doctrine of inspiration is found elsewhere in Scripture also. We see this in places like Second Peter chapter 1, where Peter says, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The apostle Paul talks about this elsewhere too in Galatians chapter one. He says, I want you to know brothers and sisters that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by, there's our word again, revelation from Jesus Christ. And he says this also to the Thessalonian believers in chapter two, he says, and we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. The Bible is inspired by God. And yet, this doctrine of inspiration has been attacked ever since the very beginning of time, when Satan came to Eve in the form of a serpent and sowed seeds of doubt to her, saying, did God really say? And ever since then, the devil has been attacking the inspiration and authenticity of God's words. You've probably heard some of the objections to inspiration. Things like, well, where did the Bible come from? And how can we be sure we have the right books in the Bible? And how can we be sure that this is what the author originally wrote? And aren't the stories in the Bible just fairy tales? And isn't the Bible full of contradictions? And isn't the Bible just made up of a bunch of other cultural myths mashed together? Uh, Doesn't the Bible, uh, doesn't it have claims and miracles that can't be validated? And hasn't the Bible been used to justify horrible things like slavery and polygamy and even genocide? I mean, this book is thousands of years old. Isn't it anti-science? Is it really accurate historically? Is it really relevant culturally? Is it really authoritative personally? And these are hugely important questions. And we have to take them seriously because if this book is not true, then you should just turn off the broadcast right now and go on with your day. None of this matters. But if it is true, and if this book is inspired, then nothing else matters. And so again, we're not gonna be able to dive super deep today or even this whole month, but but in equip you, we do dive deep into this question. So please hop on and join us there. But for now, let me just give you seven pieces of evidence for the inspiration of scripture. And this is gonna feel a little bit heady. It might feel a little bit like school, but bear with me. Listen, I paid a lot of money to go to Bible college and you're getting this for free. So no apologies, you're welcome. <laughs> but remember, this is not just supposed to stay as head knowledge. So if you hang with me and buckle up, for a few minutes, there will be an applicational payoff at the end. But here we go, seven pieces of evidence for the inspiration of scripture. First, we have manuscript evidence. We have over 24,000 ancient copies of the New Testament that validate the accuracy of the Bible that you have. Now, the next closest ancient document that we have that is most verified outside of the Bible is Homer's Iliad, which has only 643 manuscripts. In other words, you can have confidence that the Bible in your hands is the Bible that God meant for you to have. The second piece of evidence is this, eyewitness accounts. The books of the New Testament were written by eyewitnesses or in conjunction and consultation with eyewitnesses. And in fact, they were also written early enough that if what the authors wrote was wrong, then the people who did actually witness Jesus's life could have called them out and shut them down. Thirdly, we have archaeology. Now, we could give tons of examples here, but we're not going to have time. We do give some and equip you. But suffice to say for now that a former professor of archaeology at Yale University named Millard Burroughs wrote this. On the whole, archaeological work has unquestionably strengthened confidence in the reliability of the biblical record. The fourth piece of evidence that we have for the inspiration of scripture is prophecy. Prophecy. The Bible contains hundreds of prophecies about things like the rise of nations and the fall of empires, and most importantly, about the coming of Jesus. And every single one of those prophecies either has been or will be fulfilled. The fifth piece of evidence that we have is history. In the year 1806, the French Institute of Science listed no less than 80 supposed historical inaccuracies in Scripture. And yet by the year 1940, in every single case, Scripture had been proven right and the French Institute of Science had been proven wrong. The sixth piece of evidence that we have is external sources. We have works written by secular authors, Roman and Jewish historians that corroborate the story of Jesus as recorded in the pages of Scripture. And the seventh piece of evidence that we have is personal testimony. We have the stories of reputable scholars, people like General Lou Wallace and Sir William Ramsey and Lee Strobel, who set out to disprove the Bible only to be converted by the power and accuracy and relevance of scripture. And so all of this evidence and so much more leads us to conclude that this Bible is indeed the inspired word of God. Now, there are many different implications of this doctrine of inspiration, but I want to focus on just one for the remainder of our time together today. And it's this, because scripture is inspired, it is authoritative. Let me say that one more time, because scripture is inspired, it is authoritative. Notice in our verse from earlier, the connection between inspiration and authority. Paul says, all scripture is God-breathed, there's inspiration, and here comes authority, and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. In other words, because scripture is inspired, it also has the authority to teach you, and rebuke you, and to correct you, and to train you, and to tell you how to live. This means that scripture gets to tell us how to be, not the other way around. That means that from a medieval castle to a modern traffic jam, from an African village to an Asian metropolis, from first century Palestine to 21st century Indiana, this Bible is inspired and is therefore still authoritative and relevant. That means that when the Bible says that Jesus died for you, he did. When the Bible says that Jesus is alive, he is. When the Bible says that Jesus will return, he will When the Bible says that by putting your faith in Jesus, you can be made new and become a part of his kingdom people, you can and you must. We are the people of God. And so we must build our lives on the word of God so that we can say with our kids, the B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God. That means that when the Bible says go, we go. When the Bible says stop, we stop. Because if this book is inspired, then it's not just some book telling us what to do. It is God himself speaking to us. And that means that if if, if you're not in God's word daily, you need to be. Because you can't expect to know him or to know the sound of his voice or, or, or to know his will for your life or to receive his power without listening to his words that he's given us. So practically, my challenge for you this week is to go read the longest chapter of the Bible. I know, right, homework. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible and Psalm 119 is long. It'll probably take you 20 minutes or so to read it, but you can do it. And Psalm 119 is all about the goodness of God's word. So as you read Psalm 119, thank God for speaking to us, for revealing the truth to us. Thank him for his inspired word. Because scripture is inspired, it is authoritative. But so what, right? What does this all matter? Well, it matters because as you live the truth and know the truth, you will give the world a glimpse of a whole new way of living because the world needs now as much as ever a group of courageous people who know the truth and are willing to live and speak the truth in love. In the year 2004, a man named Viktor Yushchenko was running for the presidency in Ukraine. But the ruling party at the time stopped at nothing to try to undermine Viktor Yushchenko's campaign. In fact, they went so far as to try to assassinate him by poisoning his food, and Yushchenko's face was disfigured. He nearly died, but still, he did not give up. Well, the election day finally came, and the votes were rolling in, and Yushchenko held a comfortable lead, but still, the ruling party would not let him win. They tampered with the election results and they even broadcast on the state television station saying, ladies and gentlemen, we announced that the challenger, Victor Yushchenko, has been decisively defeated. It was a lie, of course. But there on the television screen in the lower right-hand corner was a woman named Natalia Dimitrik, who was doing the sign language interpreting for the deaf community. And when Natalia Dimitrik heard these lies that the commentators were spewing, she refused to translate them. And instead she signed a different story. She said, I'm addressing the deaf citizens of Ukraine. They are lying and I'm ashamed to translate their lies. Yushchenko is our president. Well, when the deaf community saw this, they sprang into action and they told their friends and they spread the news. And because of the courageous willingness of one woman to tell the truth, a revolution spread across the country and Viktor Yushchenko was elected president. Listen, church, the voices of the world are loud. But when the voice of the world tells you to to take and to hate and to win and to fight, look down to that little box in the corner of the screen, the voice of truth called God's word and be reminded that the way of Christ is compassion and mercy and generosity and sacrifice and love. And when the voices of the world tell you that you're invincible, look down to the corner of the screen and be reminded of the truth that the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. And when the marketers of this world tell you that the one who dies with the most toys wins and that you need to chase more stuff to be happy, look down to the corner of the screen and be reminded of the truth that Moses tells us that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And when the teachers tell you to look deep down inside yourself somewhere to try to find the truth, be reminded of the truth. Look down to the corner of the screen where God says the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is one. And in keeping them, there is great reward. And when the voices of this world tell you that living by the Bible is outdated and ignorant and foolish, be reminded of the words of Jesus. Look in the corner of the screen where he tells us that truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until it is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands, will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And when the voices of the world tell you that truth is relative and that you can have your truth and I can have mine, be reminded of the words of Jesus who says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Look into the corner of the screen and be reminded of the words of Jesus who says that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Look down into the corner of the screen and be reminded of the words of Jesus who prayed for us, his followers, saying, Lord, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And when the voices of the world are loud and they tell you that it's silly to live by the ancient teachings of some lifeless Jewish book from thousands of years ago, be reminded of the truth in the corner of the screen where God says that the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. This is the word of the Lord. And because scripture is inspired, it is authoritative. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for revealing yourself to us so that we may know you, so that we can think your thoughts and hear your voice as we soak in your word and live by your spirit. God, because you are good, your word is good. Because you are strong, your word is strong. And because you are true, your word is true. So fill us with the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help us, God. And let our time in your word draw us closer to your heart and more in love with your son. We thank you for revealing yourself to us by sending him, to make a way for us to be with you, to show us who you are. We thank you for his death and resurrection and we honor you now. It's in his name we pray, amen.